Hey there, and welcome to Health Yeah with Gene O'Connor, the president of the board of directors for the National Association of Chronic Disease Directors. You can find more information about NACDD at chronicdisease.org. As always, I'm Joseph Rhodes, your friendly podcast producer. On today's episode, we have Marianne Cooney, Chief of the Center for Population Health Strategies, and that's for the Association of State and Territorial Officials, otherwise known as ASTHO or ASTO. Marianne is a very dedicated individual with a long history of working in population health, and her enthusiasm and knowledge of the subject most certainly shines through in this podcast. So without further ado, let's get to this conversation with Marianne Cooney. Welcome, Marianne, to the NACDD podcast series on population health improvement. We're excited to have you join us. I'm Jean O'Connor, and I'm the current president of NACDD. That's the National Association of Chronic Disease Directors. And I'm also a state-level public health practitioner. Um, I'll be your host today for this conversation. So you work um, at ASTO. Can you tell us a little bit about ASTO and what you do there? Sure. So for those of you that don't know what ASTO is, it's the Association of State and Territorial Health Officials. And it's been around for 75 years. A lot of people don't realize that, but it's an association that served state health officials primarily for that length of time. And I was once a recipient of all the good things that they do for public health, state public health policy development and such. So it's, it's a privilege to be able to work here now. Terrific. And so what do you what do you do at ASTO, Marianne? What do I do? <laughs> My sons would say I have a lot of meetings, but um, I think what I do now is try to have some transfer of my knowledge that I have in the past and also the knowledge of all the folks that work here. We have a really terrific staff, a lot of subject matter expertise in many different areas of state public health, public health in general, and we're growing our uh, expertise in a lot of different areas lately, such as um, we're looking for you know, public health economists, we're looking at social epidemiology. And um, so the work that I do is specific to uh, the population health. My, my title is Chief of the Center for Population Health Strategies. And the three pillars that we work under are mainly health systems reform, health equity, and data analytics and informatics. Wow, that's terrific. That sounds exciting. And um so that gets us right into things. I mean, can you tell us what that means when you say you work on population health and what, sure. what are some of the things you're seeing and doing and hearing in that field? That's a big title and it yeah. sounds really interesting. 
It sounds great, doesn't it? Um, so I guess that's the, the fun part about being able to explain it because people go, population health. Well, isn't public health population health and isn't population health public health? But there really are two different interpretations of population health. And and I think that when I work with the state health officials and, and most of the conversations that I've been having with state health officials and their leadership team is, uh, you know, really how to describe population health because it is it means different things for different people um, you know if you talk to a healthcare provider they're going to say population health is the health within their own uh, patient cohort or their members and if you talk to a state health official and you say well what about what's population health for you and they just say the health of the entire state that the population that they're responsible for so it's exciting to be able to start defining this in a very practical way so that more and more people can understand it from all levels in all different areas that's amazing and i think really important work and you you just you mentioned something so when you you talk to a healthcare provider and insurance company they view their population one way and of course in state public health we view our populations another and in the local level another what does it really mean to you um, and what do you think it looks like when we're you know really improving population health and in 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 effective ways so I'm going to have to go back a little bit in my life, I guess, um, because, um, and when thinking about this particular podcast, I like to frame the work that I'm doing now in the his history of where I came from, because I, I mentioned earlier, this has really been my life's work, and it's a passion of mine to, to be able to not only be at the place that I'm in now, but also to see a future, to see the future of, of where, people, um, where people's health can be, the public's health can be, if only we would do certain things. And, um, and I think some of it has to do with what I learned when I was a school health director back in New Hampshire in the city of Manchester. When I saw schools, the school population as the the you know the community that I that I was responsible for and that truly responsible for you know making sure those kids were ready to learn and then moving to the state level, looking at the state of New Hampshire and the people that live there as the uh, the folks that I was responsible for as a public health director to see that they were healthy and all the ways to do that. But you know it's it's much it's much a, a much deeper conversation than just saying, well, you know, do they have their immunizations? Do they have uh, access to health care? Do they have, you know, um, the appropriate level of food, nutrition, exercise availability? It's it's much deeper than that. It really is for me. It's about developing communities that have a sense of what their own worth is and to look at themselves as individuals in the eyes of the whole community and and what their role is and, and how they have a, a very unique part to play in making sure everybody is moving toward their own individual and then the greater good, the community health. So that's a long answer, but... Um, I think that's what population health looks to me. It really is. It's from an individual and a much, much bigger level. And that's a great perspective and really useful. You have, gosh, you had almost two decades working in um, public health in New Hampshire. Is that right? Yes. Um, actually, um, if you consider my local 
it was a little over two decades. It was nearly 30 years. I've, I've been, you know, I was a critical care nurse when I first started out, and I thought that um, I didn't like uh, working with people after they had gotten sick. I, you know, I worked in the intensive care unit and the coronary care unit, and I thought, geez, what about if we get them upstream? And, and that's where my public health career began. And I guess I still look at it that way, that, and in particular from a chronic disease perspective, you know, how do we prevent folks from getting chronic disease in the first place? Some, some you know, you can't totally prevent, but you can certainly curb the intensity of the disease by, you know, proper case management or disease management and by early intervention. I think the reason so many of us work in public health because we see those upstream um, opportunities for prevention and really want to affect change. You come to this with so much experience and now you're in this important position at ASTO working on population health. When we do this right or if we were to do this right at the community level, state level or national level um, of improving population health, what, what do you think that could look like or does look like? Are there some examples that come to mind? Yeah, I would say that uh, there are a couple of states in particular that rise to the top in the way that they have approached it, at least from um, what the majority of people now are looking at and in, in, in improving population health is by a multi-sector approach that, um, you know, you have the, I call it the three-legged stool, you have the human services or social services, you have health care and you have public health working together. And so the states that have been very, very effective in that, um, in that approach, those are the ones that are starting to see the greater gains because it's a natural for them to start looking at the social determinants of health. I mean, healthcare and public health, looking at the social determinants of health through the eyes of social services. Social services starting to see the work that they do through the eyes of healthcare and public health and so on. And some of the states, such as Rhode Island, and I look at Rhode Island because I'm more familiar, I think, with the work that they do from being in Region 1 and also my experience in New Hampshire, is the developing the relations across those three, three sectors and having the levels at the top promote the relationships that are necessary in order to get policy work done to enhance the work that they do. So it's organic at the same time as it's very directed from the top. That's great. So many of our listeners are, you know, staff and state and local health departments. Some of them may be leaders in their agencies. Some may be working on specific programs and are, you know, like you were at one point sort of earlier in their career, what can they do to contribute to improving population health in their states or through their health departments? Any suggestions? Well, there there are two suggestions, I guess, I would make to people that are that are now working in either governmental or non-governmental public health. And those would be, first, know what your own community looks like and try to get involved in your own community because there is nothing like firsthand experience. And getting involved in your own community in the way of, you know, who are the ones or what are the hospital services or what is the public health agency doing to create a strategic approach to your, their own community? So what is the community health needs assessment um, that's been you know, most recently done. Can I get, can you get involved? Can we get involved in that community health needs assessment to be part of that advisory group or even a subcommittee that helps to inform? Because, you know, people in public health forget how 
knowledgeable they are and the skills that they have to bring to their own communities. The second would be is as a leader in your own agency to look at being a voice to explain what the needs are in the communities in the state to legislators and not to be um, hesitant or even wary about just telling it like it is, using the data to inform the conversation that you have. That's really wonderful. I mean, I think that's great, great advice. Is there anything else you want to offer in terms of advice in that regard? Well, you know, I, I um, was able, to, I was really lucky to be able to teach at UNH as an adjunct faculty member before I came here. And I taught the public policy class for brand new MPH students. And the excitement of those groups of folks that are, some of them were actually working in public health at the time. They were just looking to get an advanced degree. And their, you know, their excitement about having information about developing policy I don't think they realized, even until they were, you know, well into the program, that everyone can have a role to play and contribute to real high-level policy. And it is all about, you know, doing your homework, getting to know people, developing the relationships that are important, and to, um, to, use, to use your own subject matter knowledge and expertise and not be afraid to share that. Yeah, that's so great. I think so often, you know, sometimes I hear from my colleagues in, in public health that they may feel like, well, they're not allowed to talk to legislators, so they, they can't participate in policy development. And, but really at the root of all of our jobs, development of policy is one of the core functions of public health, don't you think? It is the core function, and that's the way things get changed. And that's what I meant when I said about the organic and the top level. It, things happen in community. We know that in community we see people that are very passionate about what they do, and they, they rally um, you know, community organizers, and they have advocacy groups that can help to get them, a lot of things done, like walkable communities and bike lanes and and more green space and those those things that that can only sometimes only happen when you have a group of very committed people who are willing to go out there and say this is what our community really needs in order to maintain their own health and there's a byproduct to that kind of community advocacy too because people develop and they see their own leadership skills and and who knows what will happen when people start feeling as if they are empowered to make change but the other thing is no matter what level you're in in a public health agency it doesn't matter. You have a voice and you have an ability to influence, even if you're not talking to a legislator directly. You have, you have information at your hands that if you put it together and you provide it to your supervisor or you provide it to the director and say, this is something that I've just, you know, just uncovered or we're developing newer understanding about a particular approach to chronic disease prevention, that's, that's information that's invaluable and, and may influence policy. Yeah, that's, I couldn't agree more. You know what, I know we're talking about population health, but in terms of public health, one of my favorite definitions is the one around redefining the unacceptable, but that's really what we're doing in public health. And so the things you've shared um, really resonate um, with me and the work that I do. Kind of given all of this and all this passion out there that's available to be harnessed and all these opportunities to improve community health, are there major trends or areas of opportunity that you see in population health improvement on the horizon 
or happening now? And what are they? So I would say the two major trends that, um, and I'm sure there are many more, but the two major trends that I'm really tracking are the integrated data systems um, and the development of integrated data systems, both at the state level, national level, and in the community level. And when I say integrated systems, what I mean is using and harnessing technology to gather information from various sectors, uh, healthcare, human services, and public health, to put that information together and then create a story, if you will, about what the, what the population looks like, what's the health of in this particular given community or state. The other, the other trend is the linkages between public health and health care and how to efficiently make the case for, particularly public health, making the case for, you know, we can prevent those deep end, very costly individuals that are starting to, you know, cost you a lot of money. I'm speaking to health care, cost you a lot of money, and this is the way we can partner together and get that job done. You know, if we were to prevent four or five you know, infants that are born with congenital anomalies that might be able to be detected early on, that, that means a lot, and that means an awful lot in terms of the, quote, pocketbook of um, a state agency, a Medicaid agency, or another health care payer. I can see how that is so true. I mean, right, we see that in our work here in Georgia, in my area of the department, and I imagine it's true across the country in health departments, but and for healthcare, as you've pointed out. With the focus that you have had on early childhood and um, and infant mortality and mothers and children, I mean, you've seen what that what that does. You've seen the changes that can be made in just even a short period of time. And I think people think, I think a lot of folks think, and even public health practitioners think, and it's wrong to think this way, actually, that, you know, five years, oh, we won't see actually something for five to ten years, but five to ten years is a blip on the radar screen when you're talking about trending out cost. Even though legislators are very focused for two years, we all know that if you can still point back to five years of cost savings or cost savings from an intervention that took place in three to five years, that speaks volumes. Can you tell me, are there any other sort of major areas of opportunity or trends you see um, in population health improvement? So I'm going to talk a little bit about something that seems to be the toughest nut to crack, I guess. And I think that would be the conversation around health equity. How do you talk about health equity in a way that resonates with everybody? Because I think the word equity has a lot of meaning, and sometimes people interpret it as to mean equality, in the sense of, you know, social equality or even some uh, socialism or those kinds of interpretations. What I'd like to get to see, actually, is the freedom to talk about health equity in the context of we are looking at addressing the deepest need because it is rising. It's, you know, the water will rise all boats. And if we have areas of greatest need in a community, in a state that, you know, otherwise experiences pretty good health, then why not look at that area that's really experiencing a lot of difficulty and, and put some focus into that area? And I think people do it in public health naturally when they're um, either, 
reading proposals or developing contracts or requests for proposals, they're developing things like that. I guess what I'm trying to say is that there are ways to assure health equity without getting mired in the difficulty of the conversation. And the way to assure health equity without getting mired in that conversation is to say, we are going to approach very deliberately the way we use our resources. And the way we use our resources will be defined by the data, the area of need, and then the ability for people to show how they're going to address it and making the best case for that. Rather than sort of directly confronting and and asking people to agree with the health equity concepts, you're saying leaders can assure health equity by doing those things you said around using data and assigning resources. Is that, is that sort of what you're describing? Yes. And, and frankly, talking about it, just talking about it, talking about without, you know, all of the difficulty of hesitation, talking about that there is income inequality. And what does that really mean in terms of the way it affects health? that there is racial inequality in communities and how does that affect health and getting away from any of the, you know, labeling, but just address it from the perspective of this is the information that we have, the data, facts really don't lie. And, and this is what we need to do to address it. You're really saying that public health, public health staff and leaders have power simply by talking about what we know um, in the right places, we can affect change. I think that's what I hear you saying. Yes. You said yeah. it nicely. <laughs> Great. No, I, 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 couldn't, I couldn't agree more. I think for staff who work in chronic disease prevention, you know, this is, a, this is part of the daily challenge of our work, too. The burden of chronic disease in this country is so high, you know, seven out of 10 leading causes of death in, mm-hmm. in most states. And Almost all of it is preventable, and most of it is tied to the social determinants of health. People who are dying early, for sure, there are some people who are higher, you know, higher incomes and those kinds of things, but many of these diseases are diseases that arise from lack of education and lack of economic opportunity or housing or transportation. So mm-hmm. that's terrific to hear you describing this. Is there anything else about that that you want to share? No, I... I, I... I think that, you know, as we work with our state health officials here at ASTO and, you know, we look at the leadership primarily, it is about we're using our, you know, information, our expertise to support leadership development, to support the individual capacity of individual shows and their teams to, to be able to, you know, move the needle on some of these policy areas. From the center's perspective, our, our role really is to look across all of ASTO and to see where are those opportunities to be able to make the case for the social determinants of health, um, to make the case for greater access to data to inform policy, and also to, to talk about those relationships with you know, all three areas, that multi-sector approach. That's a lot. We've covered a lot of ground. I mean, integrated data systems and social determinants and multi-sector approaches. I mean, these are all um, incredibly valuable ideas for 
you know, population health improvement. You've named a few, and now I have a question for you. I mean, what about training? Given these are broad areas with really full of opportunity, what would you recommend to our listeners? You know, again, they're mainly state and local chronic disease staff. Um, you know, what would you recommend to them if they wanted to advance their skills or knowledge um, around some of these things that you just described? So in a formal way, um, and, you know, we have various different kinds of organizational setups for public health across the nation, you know, in terms of public health might be its own agency, it might be embedded within a, meg, you know, a more mega agency with its access to Medicaid and health and human services. There, there might be, you know, variations of all that, you know, but I, but I think it, it should not imp- impair the ability for particularly people, I think, in chronic disease and, frankly, maternal child health teaming together. And those two factions teaming together will look at, you know, bringing together a, an ad, kind of a, a think tank or a focus group or an advisory committee of sorts where they just start to develop relationships across Medicaid, human services, and public health. So bringing in, for instance, the child welfare person, bringing in the person who's responsible for creating the CHIP program, get those folks together in a room and decide, you know, well, we have this particular thing we want to look at without trying to boil the whole ocean, just take something as, as really impactful as asthma, for instance, in kids and saying, okay, well, all three of us, what are we all going to do in the next year in order to make some changes? And it is about developing those relationships, and it's not easy because everybody is caught up in the day-to-day kinds of things that they're doing. Some people might be working with education. Some people might be working with the TANF program or the child welfare program in order to get stuff done. But, but it really is being very deliberate about creating those relationships. That's terrific. Anything else you would recommend either to people who've been in the field for a very long time or people who are just arriving? One of the things that we're noticing in a lot of the states is the very limited capacity of informatics. And people kind of think they have to have a head for technology or they have to be gurus at a computer in order to be informaticians, but it's not true. And there are certification programs out there for folks to take. There are courses that people can take even online through the Public Health Informatics Institute, for instance, where people could hone some skills that they probably never knew they even had. And it's a way of interpreting data, and it's a way of interpreting data in such a way that it's applicable to policy. And it's a very different mindset. Than, than what we're generally trained in in our master's or our, even our baccalaureate public health policy programs. So that would be one recommendation I would make to folks because, you know, it is important to have an understanding about the influence of data. So much of, you know, implementation science, for instance, expanding your wings, if you will, and, and doing something a little bit different, a little bit out of the box. And, and that would be one thing that if I were still a public health director, I would ask my folks to start looking at. That's great. That's great. Yeah, implementation science is one of those things that I think for some of us who went to school over a decade ago, there wasn't a lot out there then, and now there's so much more. So that's terrific. You know, we've covered a lot of 
um, ground, Marianne, but I'm wondering if there's anything else you'd like to tell our listeners, anything at all about population health or the work that you do, things that you think are important. Well, what I'd, you know, I mean, your listeners are folks that are, you know, they, they need to know that ASTO is more than willing to not only help but participate in what people are doing. You know, I was a public health director, and I can't tell you how many times I used ASTO as a leader in public health using the influence, using the information, the availability of, of, you know, policy statements, et cetera, to actually make the case to show that, you know, this is the best science, this is the best knowledge, these are the best state examples, if you will. But, but ASTO really wants to participate in what people are doing. So if people are doing things out there that they think are really cool or they're starting to show promise, please give us a call, you know, ask us to, to start working with you. I guess that would be one thing that I would request that people consider is that it doesn't have to be anything huge or a science project or it isn't shooting for the moon or shooting for the stars, but really some of the day-to-day information that people are collecting and understanding and uncovering in their own programs, those are the things that ASTO really would love to hear about and celebrate. That's great. And I know NACDD and ASTO work together on many things. Our CEOs are often in communication, and I know um, the consultants and staff in both organizations are as well. So that's a really um, fantastic offer, and I think, you know, maybe one that we can explore more together, too. Um, yeah, that would be great. Yeah, yeah. So is there anything else at all, Marianne? This has been, you know, so informative, and that I so appreciate your time, and I think folks are really going to enjoy um, hearing more about what you've done. Is there anything else at all that you want to share? No, I just, you know, I'm... I guess you could probably pick it up. I mean, I I love the work that I do. I've loved every single year, every single job that I've had in public health. I've just I've just loved it. And for for folks that are working in the field, if you don't like exactly what you're doing now, just look for something else that might be just within the public health department that might might get your juices flowing again because there's so much out there today I think that's of promise in public health that you know the more we expand our own understanding of what our own skills are and I'm talking about anybody looking at themselves and where they're at right now in their own careers share what you have look at what you want to do in your um, career and stay committed because even though there are times that are tough and, you know, we hear all too often about the resource drains within public health and the difficulties in budgeting and things like that, but people that are committed, I mean, most of the people working in public health are there because they are very devoted to the jobs that they're doing and, and I guess I would say just hang in there. That's great. Thank you, Marianne. And is there a web address or a way to contact you, anything that you would want to share with listeners? Sure. I'd love, I'd love you to reach out to me if you, if you want. My email is mcooney at astho.org. So it's mcooney at astho.org. And watch what's happening in the Center for Population Health Strategies. We just launched it this year, and we're putting together our strategic priorities. And I'm sure that it will be really, really fun in order to, you know, share what we're doing alongside. And, you know, it would be great to work with NACCD to, to promote some stuff that we're doing. 
Well, Marianne, thank you so much for joining us today. We've enjoyed having you, and um, we'll talk again with you soon, we hope. Great. Thanks. Well, I think you'll agree that Marianne is doing some fantastic work with ASTO. And to find more information about them, you can go to asto.org. And as Marianne said, you can reach her at mcooney at asto.org. Well, that's going to wrap up another episode of Health Yeah! I hope you found it informative and entertaining like I did. On behalf of NACDD and Gene O'Connor, thank you very much for listening.